1: the scripture, Zechariah 2.5 over Faith City Outreach, where the Lord says, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Dr. Sharon Anderson, who is the executive pastor from Temple of Praise in Washington, D.C., Thank you very much for being on Faith City Outreach today to share your testimony and to share how God is using you to spread the gospel all over the world. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. It's
2: such a blessing to be with you tonight and to be able to talk about what the Lord is doing. Amen. Amen. Because he does and keeps on doing great things. So I'm excited about our conversation this evening.
1: Yes, so am I. And I'm curious to find out, when did God call you to be a pastor and a lawyer? Yeah. And were you yes. surprised of this calling? I mean, it's no it's unheard of.
2: <laughs> Absolutely surprised. Yeah surprised. So I, um, it, and it's actually a funny little, it's a funny testimony actually, but it, but it, it speaks to the move of God and how when you're called, um, you don't have much to do in the choosing and the calling That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is God. And, and I, I am thankful, but, um, I, I certainly was practicing law. I mean, preaching the gospel wasn't even in my, uh, even in my mind or even in my spirit at the time. But it was it was very funny. I, I started out as a trial lawyer, a public defender. And when I would give my closing arguments, people would come and watch me give my closing arguments because they felt that it was very moving and connecting. And, you know, of course they were relating it to law, but they always would say how... Um, impactful my closing arguments were. So one time I was given a closing argument in a criminal case and I was making some kind of argument and someone in the jury box stood up and said, amen, in the middle (laughs) of a case. And, you know, it it was, it was hilarious. And the the judge kind of just hung their head and the marshal and the, the courtroom clerk, they all just hung their head because obviously it was clear that the jury was really with me and against the prosecution at that point but again, I'm not connecting it to a call. Um, I'm just looking at myself as a passionate uh, speaker. So fast forward probably about four years from that. And, um, certainly I had rededicated my life to Christ. I was attending church, been very involved in ministry. I think I was a deaconess and training at that point or a deaconess at that point. And, um, one of my best friends, um, actually one of my mentees, she was, um, being invested in as a judge. Um, and so I'm sitting watching her investiture and I have a vision in the middle of this investiture. I'm watching her and the Lord takes me and I see myself, you know, behind this podium in a robe, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, it's as if I'm being invested. That's what I'm interpreting, right? Because um, I'm, I'm not in the spirit right now because it's not connecting to me, right? The call. Um, so was it like I'm, a vision? It was a vision. Yeah. Okay. Vision. Um, and But the vision that I saw in the midst of my friend getting installed as a judge was me behind this podium in a black robe. So immediately, lawyer, judge, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I want to be a judge. (laughs) Uh, But as God would have it, years again passed, and um, I started developing a relationship, and I started um, beginning to minister more in my role as a deaconess, um, and in that role, Um, it was then that I began to fast and I began to pray and I heard God's voice audibly um, that he was calling Um, me to preach and that the vision that I saw was not for me to put my hat in for a judicial position, but it was for me to put my hat in to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And And so that was really that it it was an interesting process because I just never thought that I would be actually, uh, preaching at that point. Everything that I was thinking was related to law and it wasn't related to, um, ministry until I began to minister and, um, and, and without, without a collar, you know, without a title. And sometimes that's what God does. He gives you, um, Something to do, and he um, actually wants to know if um, you you know if. So it, when you're what I found to be true, um, actually looking and uh, back in hindsight, you you begin to do the work before you walk into the title, um, and that's what happened to me. All all the while while I was preach, um, lawyering, (laughs) (laughs) ministering. Um, you know, I started out as a public defender. I had an opportunity to go and work at a very big firm coming right out of law school. Um, but my passion was really to help people that was less fortunate. And so I gave up a a very large high paying job to do that. I didn't realize that that was ministry in me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of what I was doing was was changing people's lives um, and leading them to God and leading them to Christ, and and not even knowing that 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 was a call to minister on my life. Um, and as years passed, and then as I began to develop a deeper relationship with God, and then as I began to understand um, what it really meant to be a minister—not um, just a preacher, right—but but, but mm-hmm. a minister. Um, and a servant of God um, and someone who has a passion and heart for God's people. um, That's what led me to, to the ministry. And that's what led me to being open to his call and hearing his voice and saying, I want you to do this for me. I want you to preach my word. I want you to, to uh, minister full time. I was working when I, when I left to start working for the church, I was the senior, uh, deputy corporation counsel for Mayor Williams in the District of Columbia. So I was the second in command of the whole legal department for the District of Columbia. And I walked off of that job because God said, I want you to work for my people um, and took over a $100,000 pay cut. Um, because he wanted me to, to then work full time in ministry. Um, and, and you only do that when you know that you call.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Absolutely heard his voice. Um, and so for me, it was really, I, I was doing it all along. I just didn't realize it. Um, and then he had a very specific call um, to not only preach and teach the gospel, but minister in a particular vineyard um, in a particular way. And I, and I heard it, and I followed him.
1: And it sounds like you were really, like, instantly obedient.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that my pastor has definitely taught us is to um, hear his voice, and when you hear his voice, obey it. He always says, you know, obedience is exact and immediate. It's not obedience when you're trying to figure out <laughs> what to do. So once you hear him, you, you, and, and if you hear him and you know him, then you have to act and do what he said. And in that instance, when I, when I walked off, they were actually trying to give me a promotion. And it was so funny because I had fasted and I prayed. I took a two-week vacation. I fasted and I prayed um, about leaving that position because they, there was the promotional opportunities were endless. Um, And it really would have led to a um, high-level position in uh, the District of Columbia. So once I I knew that it was God that that was calling me, and once he made it very clear what he wanted me to do, I... um, I, I then went back in. And so the day that I went back in, they said, oh, we're glad you're here. We're about to offer you a promotion. We want you to do this. We're planning this for you in your career track. We want to offer you this amount of money. And I, and I just had to laugh. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I can't take it because God has something else for me to do right now. And, and everybody was aghast. Uh, they could not believe that the day that they were offering me that promotion was the day that I was resigning because God said, I need you here to plant this church, to help this pastor, to help these people, to help build this vision. And um, it's it's really been an, a phenomenal, phenomenal walk with him. And I'm thankful. It's been a faith walk, but I, um, I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful.
1: Now, did it ever come to your mind to think about Or to even, yeah, to think that, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I doing? I took a pay cut of $100,000. Did Um, that ever come to your... In
2: my spirit, no. You know, when you hear God so clearly... no uh now that doesn't mean everybody and everything around me <laughs> didn't try to make me
1: think <laughs> no, right
2: you know my family my parents you know um everybody kind of thought I was a little crazy and didn't people said well that couldn't have been God why would God put you in that position um but he wasn't putting me in a position he was he was using me as a vessel like I asked him to um, mm-hmm. And oftentimes that, that does require a hard decision. And if you look back from in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Think of Ruth, right? Yes. Ruth from Naomi and she could have stayed with her people mm-hmm. and been fine. But no, she said, my God is going to be your God mm-hmm. and wherever you go, I'm going to go. And in the end, not only were the people blessed, but then she ended up getting being blessed, and blessed. even more blessing was through her because it was the line, the Davidic line came through her, and ultimately, um, that is the line through which Jesus Christ came. So, um, the Bible is just replete with examples: Esther, people who have sacrificed um, being comfortable um, for a call, um, and um, when you know that it's God, even when it seems a little hard, when it might seem a little crazy, when your spirit is is convinced um and confident that it's god it doesn't matter what people are saying around you the circumstances may be looking at or or even trying to dictate because when you hear his voice and when you have his word and you hold on to that word nothing else matters and that doesn't mean that it's always been easy but i but i never never ever thought this was not god
1: So so what did you tell the people that were trying to discourage you? What did you say to them? Sometimes Um, you don't, you don't honor
2: a, a response. (laughs) Some people, some people don't deserve a response. You just kept quiet. So I just kept quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. And because if people aren't, if people haven't heard it, then they can't understand it. Now, there might be people, the people that understood it are the people that are faith walkers, that are people that heard from God, where God told them to do crazy things. So they would understand it. And you can dialogue with them about, "Mm, God told me to do this. I know this sounds crazy. And then they can say, you know what, I understand because God told me to do some crazy things. And this is what I did. And this is how people reacted. But I held on to his word. I held on to my faith. I held on to the word of God. And this was the result. But when people aren't faith walkers like that. And when Mm -hmm. people don't have that kind of relationship, um, Mm -hmm. you can talk to them all day long and try to convince them, but they'll never understand it because they're not even in that sphere um, or in that realm of of dialogue with with the master. And they just might not be called to do it right mm-hmm. so there's some people that are called to do very things uh, different things in christ and it's comfortable and it's safe and secure and that's where god has them and that's fine right mm-hmm. and then there's other people who he knows and he, that i okay i can tell them to you know um to step out on faith peter right i can tell him to get out the boat it's only one of them that he said okay come on to me get out the boat not he didn't tell all the disciples come on get out the boat it was mm-hmm. only one who took that risk and then he said, come on, he didn't tell the disciples, come on, follow Peter. He only, he only, um, focused on Peter. And so there's Peters. And then there's those that feel more secure and safe in, in what they know and what's routine and what is, um, and what's safe. And, um, and that's okay. And to, one is not better than other because God uses it all. Um, but oftentimes you can't, speak to people about that. And you can't try to convince people um, something that they, they couldn't understand or can't process or haven't heard. And so I really didn't try and haven't tried to explain to people um, that, that don't have that same call on their life.
1: How long have you been the executive pastor at the Temple of Praise in Washington, D.C.?
2: So I was an associate. I, was, I started as a deaconess. And then I was licensed as a minister and then I was, um, ordained as an associate pastor. I've been an executive pastor for a year now.
1: And how's it going so far?
2: It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's been a, (laughs) it's been an interesting transition. It really, really has because we're, we're transitioning the ministry, um, my, my pastor, my bishop, um, installed his son as a senior pastor now, and so um, his son is younger, um, and I've worked with my Bishop under a certain structure for over 20 years. And so, um, this is new, uh, new territory, but it's exciting and it's fresh and, uh, the church is still growing since, um, he was installed, which is about 60 days ago. Um, we've had over 150 people join our ministry.
1: Wow.
2: And, but, but I will tell you this in the 20 some odd years I've been at that church, there's only been one service, not even one whole Sunday, one service in 28 years that someone did not join that church. Wow. So the, but having the executive pastor role, which is, which is actually a new position. Um, my Bishop created these positions and, and that is to be a little bit more administrative, more strategic planning, Um, and more holding the uh, ministry leaders accountable for the work that they're doing as it aligns with the vision. Um, So it's um, organizational development, strategic planning, and ensuring that everything that we're doing is lining up with the vision so that there's just not a lot of activities going on, but it's not aligning to the vision that God has given the ministry for the season that we're in. And and that's one of the main roles of the executive pastor.
1: Thank you for explaining that because I was just about to ask you what the difference is between executive pastor and the associate pastor. Yes. Now, yes. how do you go about doing this job? Um, I know you said it's a lot of its organizational leadership type. Mm-hmm. Yes. So give me an example of what your job is like. Sure. So we have a executive
2: pastoral team, which I lead. Um, and what we do is we meet with all of the ministry leaders and we have about 40 ministry leaders. Um, so women's ministry, men's ministry, youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we do, what we require them to do or or are requiring them to do is develop a strategic plan that's aligned with our vision. So our vision of our church is to evangelize the center, exalt the savior and edify the saint. Um, Mm -hmm. And so all of the activities of the ministries that they propose should be around one, if not all of the three points of the vision. Um, Mm. So, it's ensuring that we're not just doing activities for activity's sake because mm-hmm. of course, from an organizational management perspective, we have to manage money, right? We have, mm-hmm. to, um, we have to count up the cost. And so if we're having a shoe sale or a shoe drive or a coat drive, what line of the vision is that lining up with? Um, mm-hmm. And then what if all 40 ministries wanted to have uh, coat giveaways? Well, we only have so many Saturdays a month, um, and every time you have an event, you have to turn on the lights of the church, you, you're use, utilizing resources. And so it's it's aligning all of the ministries to uh, a common vision and then making sure that we're deploying our resources prudently. Um, so that we're being more effective in in the the church. So if, let's say the youth wants want to do wants to do a coat drive, the women want to do a shoe drive. Well, why don't we just have a clothing drive and have everybody come together on one day instead of having all the ministries just out there doing their own thing and not thinking about the resources um, that are available to them and how we can collaborate. Um, and coincide with, uh, again, one vision, one mind, and one direction. And oftentimes it's just because people are busy, and so they're, they're not coordinating or talking um, necessarily amongst themselves. And so the, the job of the executive pastor is to make sure that that's occurring so that we're budgeting wisely um, and that the ministry is thriving and utilizing its resources wisely.
1: That's very interesting. And how do you go about making sure that everybody's communicating with each other because I know in ministry that can be very challenging yes. there. Yes.
2: Well, what we what we're doing more is having more joint meetings. So again, clearly we mm-hmm. didn't have problems with all the ministries meeting. They have their own meeting days. So youth might meet the first Saturday the choir might meet the second Tuesday. So once a month, we're bringing everybody together. Um, And then we're actually having them write out their plans and submit them and submitting them to the executive pastoral team so that we can go through the plans and then we can find areas for synergy and then we'll Sponsor meetings to have the leaders come together and have them talk amongst themselves about again How they can possibly collaborate on activities and not necessarily go down their own silos I call it a silo mentality where everyone's operating in their own lane But they're not looking at how again the lanes might have some synergy so that we can again be more effective in our resource deployment Um, and so it's actually worked. What I found when we started this transition was people, they want to talk, <laughs> you know, they That's actually great. Really do want to communicate. And that doesn't mean that everybody always agrees. Um, right. Right. But it means that you're open for dialogue and, mm-hmm. and looking forward to at least finding ways where there can be some collaboration and and that's worked really, really well. When you create that platform mm-hmm. um, for dialogue and then you manage the dialogue, moderate the dialogue, it works very, very well. And when they feel more empowered, I think they feel more encouraged. Um, they they want to know that their sisters or brother, and brothers from another arm um, of the ministry is readily available to support them and they want to support too. A lot of it for us has been, because we are such a big ministry that sometimes one ministry didn't know what the other was doing so it might have felt like a ministry leader wasn't getting support but it wasn't that people weren't supporting them it just was that they didn't know that this was occurring or that they needed support in this area so finding providing that 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 time and that space for collaboration and for dialogue um has really really worked well and we've seen them communicate at a at a greater level which has been a blessing
1: that's great, great blessing. yes do you think that a lot of churches um are in need of doing that too
2: Oh absolutely, absolutely. Um strategic planning, organizational management. Um I'm also the general counsel because I am a lawyer and I've been doing that for um ten, fifteen years now. Uh, but absolutely I think churches um, could benefit from legal counsel. When when I first started, everyone would say, well, what does a church need a lawyer for? Um, because in their mind, you need a lawyer when you're in trouble or when there is trouble. But really what a general counsel does is prevention, right? So establishing systems, um, employment contracts, volunteer service contracts, various things, which if they are not in place, often allow for the enemy to walk through the door and create havoc. Um, And when you don't have that counsel, because the Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, um, When you have it after the fact, then you're trying to fix something that you could possibly have prevented had you had that counsel from the beginning. So, um, we i now even train we our ministers in training about the fact that once you walk in and now you're in training and you're under Um, and about to be licensed under our ministry, what you say, what you do has an effect. You're not just talking for yourself anymore. You are actually talking for the ministry. You might not feel that way. Freedom of speech, First Amendment, I can say what I want to say. Mm -hmm. But if you don't say, I'm not saying this on behalf of, if on your platform or on your social media page, it's minister and training of, then people are associating you with the temple and could associate you with the temple. So if you say some off remark, if you say something negative, if you say something offensive, slanderous, or that could be construed as defamation to someone, they're not going to want to sue you because they don't feel that you have resources. They're going to want to come after the church. Um, Mm -hmm. And so ministers and training need to understand um, what they're walking into and the significance of that. Um, And that's part of what I do as not just the executive pastor, but as a general counsel um even with security i trained security about when you have church security um you're not a licensed police officer so we taught, talk, i talked to them about hands off rule. Well, you can't touch people you can't move people unless somebody's in danger um because again that could be construed as an assault and again a lot of churches don't know that and churches now are emerging to have more volunteer security ministries but if people don't know what to do and what not to do then they find themselves in trouble and then they hire a lawyer or a law firm after the fact and that's causing them money so um, i think it's important if you can't afford a staff attorney Um, like a general counsel, that you have trainings periodically where counsel can come in and inform the pastor and the leaders, where are the pitfalls, where are the holes, um, look at their management style, look at their contracts and make sure everything is in order so that there's not a door for the enemy to come in and try to steal and kill and destroy.
1: That's true. That is such interesting information. I have yeah. never heard about, but wow! And it's my passion. I mean, I just, I just love it. I,
2: I love uh, ministering. What God has done to just bring all the gifts and talents and the education to bear together. Um, I'm just so grateful. I wake up every morning smiling about how grateful I am that He would even consider to use me in this way to provide <laughs> the information that I provide. It's just wonderful. That's wonderful.
1: Dr. Sharon, I know you are a dynamic preacher, lecturer, and workshop facilitator, and you have lectured at conferences across the United States on topics relating to organizational development and church law and emotional intelligence. Which topic is your favorite topic to lecture about and why? That's
2: so hard. Uh, so, the class that I teach for Primus University on ecclesiastical law has really, really been one of my favorites um, because it, 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 is a, it allows me to teach on a broad range um, of issues that affect the church. So we talk about the first amendment and separation of church and state and how that's a misnomer and the students really, really enjoy. And I hear so many times from the students, wow, I didn't know that. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that separation of church and state was not in the constitution. I didn't know, um, what this all meant. I didn't know about the Thomas Jefferson Danbury letter." So teaching pastors and preachers and ministers about church law in general um is has is very exciting and i go from first amendment to nonprofit law i talk about a 501c3 why it's a good thing to have why it's not a good thing to have difference between c3s and c4s Um, i talk about lobbying and then one of my favorite classes is um is about risk management and and God gave me this revelation about how Nehemiah was the greatest risk manager um, and how just in the book of Nehemiah, it teaches us how to plan. And manage risk, which is something that we, unfortunately, as Christians, don't necessarily think we ought to have to do when we're establishing our businesses. Right? We say, "Okay, I've prayed, I've had faith, God's got it, I'm going to be okay." Um, but Nehemiah is a very clear example of how he, once God, he got permission from God to go and build. How he went to the king, he got that permission, that that worldly authority, right? And then he went and he got the letters to be able to go and acquire the materials that he needed. And then he posted various people at various strategic places on the wall so that the work could be done. And he taught them how to pray and pray together and fight together. And and all of that was, was his risk management plan. And I, and so I love teaching that, um, because it's a legal concept, but I like taking legal concepts that we use around mm-hmm. church law and business law and show pastors and preachers in the Bible about how this isn't just something that we're making up and it is not just a secular concept. This is what was, this is what Jesus did. This is what the disciples did. This is what the prophets and, and this is what Moses did to show how, um, really, when we're talking about um, establishing an organization or a business, if we're looking at a Christian organization and business and everything should be done, as God said, is in decency and in order, that if you apply these principles, um, you can be successful. And so whether it's a a legal principle that comes from a statute or whether it's a biblical principle, if you look at them together, you're assured success. And so I, I love teaching church law and then I'm starting uh, this emotional intelligence class for Primus, but I've been teaching it for um, D.C. government employees recently. Um, and that I really, really enjoyed as well. So I, as you can tell, I love doing everything. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but I, I really love this church law class. I do.
1: Well, now, what is emotional intelligence? I mean, you hear about it, but you never mm-hmm. get a definition or you never right. get an explanation.
2: Yes. So emotional intelligence is there's, we've heard of IQ, right? Mm -hmm. So that's your intelligence quotient. Um, and that's measured by what you know and what you don't know. Your, your EQ or EI, um, is really how you manage your behavior, your moods, your impulses to, um, to the best of your ability, according to situations that you're confronted with. It's how you manage your emotions and impulses. Um, how, and that's how you manage your emotions.
1: Now, could that be based on also how you're, how you've been, um, let's say raised culturally? Well, I, I, I think that that plays a
2: part in it. So you could possibly not manage them well, (laughs) um, (laughs) because of, um, cultural, reasons or um, because of how you were raised or beliefs rather. Yep. Um, Cultural beliefs or how you were raised or what you saw um, or what you experienced growing up or how people responded to things in your household. Absolutely. But how, and that's a great example because how you might have responded to things in your household is not going to work in the corporate setting, is not going to work in the boardroom, is not going to work, may not work, I should say, in the courtroom. Uh And so if you don't learn how to manage um, your emotions in um, various settings, then you possibly will not do well. And that is not to say EQ is not denying emotion. See, people think that being emotionally intelligent means that you don't have emotions and you don't show emotion. It is actually the exact opposite. Being emotionally intelligent is recognizing you have them, recognizing your own triggers and then managing them appropriately given a particular situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's what being emotionally intelligent is. And that's what EI is knowing and recognizing how to manage your, your moods and behaviors and impulses. Um, And every different, every situation requires a different response. Um, I, I train mainly and my training started um, with correctional officers in um, a youth detention scenario, and it was mm. middle managers. And middle managers have it um, the hardest because they have to manage up and take the information from the people that they're managing to the higher, um, to to the people over them. And then the the supervisors are communicating from the head all the way down, and then requiring the middle managers to um, to articulate information to those that they manage or that are under them, so and oftentimes it's not favorable information. So I'll give you the example for the District of Columbia Youth Rehabilitation Service. Um, they changed it to this is a correctional system for juveniles, and they changed it to a culture of love. Well, what correctional officer who's dealing with you know youth uh, charged with murder in a a correctional facility wants to hear that the culture for the agency is love, Right. So you have, you have the people that are dealing with the inmates or those that are locked up, um, pulling out their hair. Like, what are you talking about? We're having a new culture of love. And I'm thinking about whether I'm going to die every day and deal. Right. And then you have the middle managers, Maybe they agree, maybe they don't. And they, again, they have to communicate up to their superiors and say, this isn't working, this is working. And then they have to communicate down and say, because this is the culture. So they have to convince, even if they might not necessarily believe it or understand it, they have to convince the people that are under them, how to manage their life and their profession and their roles and their activities based on this new culture. And so that is a, it's a pull and it's a tug. And, in and, and, and when you look at a person, that's just their day. That morning someone could have passed away that Mm -hmm. morning. They could have had a fight with their wife. They could be dealing with a sick parent. Something right Right. We all have all these other pressing factors And so recognizing when I come to work here I am having to communicate what seems to be diametrically opposed ideas and i'm dealing with my own stuff How do I do that without damaging? Myself the people below me and the the culture of the the agency that i'm working in Mm -hmm. That's what eq is And so teaching people how to do that, embrace their emotions, let it filter through. And then you have to learn everybody else's because in addition to your own, now the person I'm supervising is coming in. They have to apply something they don't like and their father passed, then their mother passed. They're dealing with their own children, maybe being in a, in a compromising situation, or maybe they're not doing too well in school, or maybe they have a child with differing abilities. And so the dynamics are pervasive. That's what I'll say. Challenging. Yes. And so having the uh, ability to be able to understand and recognize, um, how to manage those emotions and giving people tools to be able to manage those emotions is, is very, is, has been very rewarding for me. And so I took it to another level with Primus because as I started to really study it, not just from a conceptual level, not just from the level of psychology, um, and theoretically, um, when I started to study it biblically, Um, Mm. look at the emotional intelligence of Jesus, right? Mm. Just one of the examples that I gave was the woman caught in adultery.
1: Mm.
2: Now here he was being challenged by the Pharisees, the chief priests, everyone. Okay. You commit adultery, you get stoned. Now he's standing there with her. If he agreed with her or challenged them, Mm -hmm. he would have been stoned too. Right, he would have been criticized. He wants to them to start to embrace him and, and the message that he's he's um, giving. And and so what did he do? He didn't say anything. Right. He he took a minute to assess the situation. He stooped. The, the word says he stooped. He wrote something. To this day, we don't know what he wrote. Um, and then he got up with the revelation. Well, he that's without sin cast the first stone, and everybody spread. So he dealt with their emotions. He dealt with her emotion, and everyone left and it was a successful process. Amen. But um, he—I mean, obviously, Jesus is is the King, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got exactly. King, Lord of Lords, Lord, the definitely knew how to manage yes. his emotion. But even he wept. Right? He wept with Lazarus. He wept in the garden. He he dealt with stress, um, but when he was interacting with with people. He he is the prime example of how to manage behavior, moods, and impulses when he was threatened with, um, you know, so many different challenges throughout his walk and certainly on the cross, right? Certainly in the garden and the cross is monumental where he could have done so many different things, um, but he chose to follow the call that was on his life. So, very interesting uh, platform now to be able to teach this new class and talk about um, Jesus as an example. Even Moses um, was an example, good and bad, right? Hit the rock, don't hit the rock or hit the rock, but I am telling you to hit it that way. So there's so many (laughs) (laughs)
1: many
2: examples in the Bible about um, managing our emotions. And, you know, a long time ago, I was praying about it the other day, the the mantra was WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, and that's an example of emotional intelligence. You know, as we walk through our daily lives, how would Jesus respond to those things? So it's really getting a little bit more meat to that concept and, <laughs> and not just theoretical and not just, um, uh, I think we back then we were looking at it very broadly, just, okay, Jesus would not have done it. So we shouldn't do it, but that's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, when you're facing stressful situations Mm -hmm. and things are hitting you in the face. And I'm not talking about the basic, somebody cuts you off in the red light and you get mad. I'm talking about, you know, things that I don't know that you've experienced, but I have, you know, I, I, when my father died, I probably was in depression. Didn't even know it for um, a whole year. And there were times when my responses as an associate pastor at church with people were was not good, and it wasn't even me. And I didn't even realize I was doing it right. Be- and why? Because I did did not want to. I wanted to deny my grief. I wanted to to believe that as a pastor and a preacher that I, I wasn't going to feel and I shouldn't feel and I'm a tough cookie and I can get through this. And and not giving my t- myself time and space to recognize um, the feelings I believe caused issues. It did. <laughs> not I believe, it did. Um, and so this is why the EI is very near and dear to me because I've had a lot of experiences because I manage people and have for a very long time. um, How if you don't not just process your feelings and I'm not talking about counseling and psychology, but just recognizing that you have them, you have a right to them, you know, and that's where prayer and fasting and time Mm -hmm. with God and reading the word and relationship comes in to get through it. But if you don't even tell God I'm hurting today, right? This is hurting me. Ouch. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. It doesn't even give him room to come in. Um, and you can't possibly get emotional, intelligent responses to things, um, because you're just stuffing them and you're not even giving God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit an opportunity to minister to you. And and I see that a lot just in church and from pastors and <laughs> preachers and leaders um because we it, we we want to believe that we can carry a whole lot um and oftentimes um we we miss the mark. Um and we are the most emotionally unintelligent <laughs> of the crew, you
1: know. Now, do you um, find it different um from women towards men? I mean not women towards men, but is there different emotional intelligence between women and men? Do they respond differently? Is it more of no. a challenging for men versus women or is it basically just overall the same?
2: It, you know, it's funny. Cause when I do the training, oh my God, it's,
1: <laughs> it's funny.
2: Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, I, I think, well, if you just want to look at it, uh, generally speaking, right. Men definitely do not think that they should show their emotions. Right. So, right. um, oh, and then women really, do and they do. Right. So, <laughs> and both are wrong. So emotion, <laughs> again, remember emotional intelligence doesn't mean that you're just going around showing your emotions. Mm-hmm. What it means is you're recognizing you have them. And, and so you have to manage your responses to particular situations. So women, they say tend to just show it, show it, show it, show it, and then men they say tend to hold it, hold it, hold it, and right. either extreme um, is a bad thing.
1: So, so what um, would be a tool for, let's say, women who are always showing their emotions? Right. Journaling.
2: Okay, journaling. You have to find um, other ways to get it out, mm-hmm. and so taking that time in the morning, I, I really believe it, and I can't say I do it a hundred percent right all of the time, but when I stay on a consistent pattern of early morning prayer. Um, and that's praying and moving, you know, praying, listening, reading, um, and, 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 and devotion, um, and then, and then journaling. So if you are, you know, feeling something, if you don't, can't get it out through your audible prayer or in your prayer time, writing down how you're feeling and how you're going to manage that um, is, is so very helpful for someone that is, is emotional and tends to kind of um, act out of emotion. Okay.
1: Right. And it's the
2: same thing for a man, because again, he doesn't, a lot of times men don't feel that they have a safe space right. because they don't feel that they should or could or want to tell anybody. So the only person that they have to tell and to show um, their feelings and their emotions with is to God. And so finding that safe place, that closet, as we say, that prayer closet, where you can cry and you can snot and you can um, scream and you can holler. And, and again, even writing it down is important. And, and oftentimes, and, you know, again, for me, that's better. Not everybody can handle your emotion. It would be great to say that everybody would have a person that they could go to, to talk Mm -hmm. to. Um, but in, in some ways, and in some instances, really the only person that you can talk to about some things is God, because even, even if, your father passed and my father passed. My relationship mm-hmm. with my father is different. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you all day long how I'm feeling, but you will never understand because you didn't have that moment with my, fa- with my father, right. Where, you know, he came to my rescue at college, me down and, and um talk to me about something that really changed the trajectory of my life. You might've had a similar experience, but it wasn't your experience. My dad. Right. So, Um, so there are instances where the only person that really can understand your heart and your emotion about something is God. Amen. He should
1: be first too. That's right. Always, always, always. Always. Amen. This is Marina Maria from Faith City Outreach with... Today's special guest, Dr. Sharon Anderson, who is the executive pastor at Temple of Praise in Washington, D.C. We are talking about her testimony and how God is using her to spread the gospel all over the world. Dr. Sharon, what has been the most challenging part of your ministry, and what do you do to resolve this? (sighs)
2: I... Would say that time management (laughs) has been my most challenging. Um, when you are called by God, um, and you're really serious about that call, and you're a preacher, and you're a pastor, and you're a teacher, and you're a servant really, a servant because I'm if I'm nothing else, I am a servant, (laughs) um, and I, and so, the most challenging thing for me has been balance—balancing family um, and 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 serving God's people. And I, I know that that's a challenge for a lot of pastors. Usually, mm-hmm. you see it more in men, um, you know, that are pastoring. But I think women pastor pastors have the same challenge. But um, you know, when I uh, opened transitional house for homeless women and children, we opened in two thousand and seven Christmas Eve. So I took my family and my kids and (laughs) we were all there together celebrating with the, the homeless women who were given new homes, you know, and setting up Christmas trees and serving dinner. And, and so, um, I, I think balance has probably been my most challenging.
1: Right. I know that you have preached the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world, including Africa and India, which country was the most challenging to preach? The good news of Jesus Christ. I would say, um,
2: I well, I think in both countries where I went, um, where we went, they they were so eager to hear the word of God. Um, I think the spiritual war, warfare was heavier in in Africa and in Nigeria, um, but I but I, I think I was blessed with the ministry um, plan that they had for us to go into areas where people were really um, seeking God and looking for healing and, and, and to watch God move um, in such a miraculous way was phenomenal. But um, I think um, the spiritual warfare in Africa is, 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 is something. And so I think that that Probably was the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. <laughs> also the most rewarding.
1: Now, did you go with a group of uh, people that also helped you? Um, let's say you just got together and you prayed for each other.
2: Well, we have a uh, the the Temple of Praise where I minister. We have a pastor that is in Nigeria, um, and oh, okay. so um, he actually. Uh, about 10 of us went over and then he um, actually had us go to various areas to preach um, and pray. Um, and so we went to Prayer Mountain in, in Nigeria and um, about five or six other uh, provinces. And again, uh, spiritual warfare was, um, was, was something, but God definitely did move, definitely did move.
1: What are the challenges of being a woman pastor and what advice would you give women pastors?
2: Again, I, again, it's balance. And, and I think it, it is you, it is family first, right? It's God first and it's family second. And, um, when you are, uh, and and for me, it's whether you're a female pastor or a female lawyer, right? Or when you're a professional woman, um, you and, and are carrying the weight of your family, um, oftentimes and trying to balance and make sure that your family has and you're providing, you can get lost in that process mm. uh, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and not necessarily be as available to your family as they need you to be. Um, And I think that that pastors um, probably sing this song a lot, which is, you know, you get a call, you have to go and pray for someone in the middle of the night, Um, Mm -hmm. or you might miss a football game because you've been called to preach this revival or travel here or travel there. And when you're young in ministry and it's very exciting. And again, if it's your passion and you love it, um, it doesn't, it does and if it doesn't feel like work, um, the next thing, you know, you, you know, five years have passed your kids are 12 <laughs> and you're <wondering, laughs> yeah. where, where, where did that true. time go? So as a, as a woman, um, I believe the role of, of a wife and a mother is to nurture and to be there for their children. And, um, I, I think that we as female pastors have to really watch that because when you're, when you're pastoring, you are pulled, people want you to come and pray for them. They want you to be there for your families. They want you to take that, uh, evening phone call and they want you to be, um, on this prayer line and that prayer line. um, but you you have to be there for your family, and you have to make a conscious effort to make that balance, because if not, time will pass you by, and um, you'll you'll regret not having spent that time. So I think that that's very important.
1: Why is it important for Christians to leave a spiritual legacy for their children?
2: this the song says i believe the children are our future right that's the song and then the bible talks about um train up a child in the way that mm-hmm. they should go um because when they get old that they will never depart from it and and we are planting those seeds because as we leave we want the the world the nation um, to be one for christ and so um they have to know who he is and what's so much more important than um, theory and religion and doctrine is relationship. Mm -hmm. If you can give your child a relationship, they'll find theory and doctrine and, and word. Um, and um, obviously relationship can't come without the word, but, um, but, but it's so incredibly important when we say a spiritual legacy and that you're talking about is to create that, um, that, platform where they can learn who Christ is and develop that relationship for themselves. Um, Because if they do that and they have that relationship and they know who Jesus is and they know um, that he loves them and they have that love for them, for him rather, that passes all understanding, then um, they are going to be game changers and nation changers, um, and be able to carry on what God has given us to do. So, um, it is vital that, that we, uh, we, we ensure that our children have relationship and that's important to me.
1: Amen. Dr. Sharon, we have one last question that I want to ask you, um, real quickly. What advice would you give a suffering woman? I had met um, a pastor last week and she was telling me, uh, Marina, there's so many women that are suffering in my church. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I've been a suffering
2: woman. I think we all have been, right? And And exactly. in our lives, we, we have suffered. Um, and... and Relationship. <laughs> I hate to say to go back to relationship and prayer. It sounds so cliche ish, um, but I will tell you. But it's so simple, right? It's so simple. What got right. me through yes. was relationship. And um, people, some people forget the word where it says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, People even, I think they're used to me now, I go to all of my church services. We have three on Sunday. I'm there from eight to three. And my kids, we used to say, well, I go all the time. You know, when they got a little older, of course, when they were younger, they had to go. And then to get a little older, they still come, but they might not go to all three, which is fine. Um, I said, you don't want to know, you don't want me. <laughs> not going to the. <laughs> and it's not for the former fashion right? I go, of course, it's kind of worked for me because I'm a, um, one of the pastors, but the, the spirit in our church is so high and the word is so good and the music mm. is so good and the spirit just uh, just falls and he does something different at each service that just blows our mind. Like last Sunday at the 10 o'clock service, we couldn't even, we couldn't even preach. The Holy Spirit fell and we were just weeping and crying and praising
1: Amen. Uh,
2: because the spirit just fell. And so mm. I go because of that and that fills me up for my Monday through Sunday. That fills me up through my Monday and I get my my gas in the middle of the week on Wednesday. And so for those that are suffering, a lot of times we as women or we as people we want to retreat. We want to we want to say that no one understands. We want to say we want to isolate. Um, and we also we often want to think okay I can get through this myself by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and and that is often not the case. you have to have that relationship and the only person that's going to bring you out is Jesus but having those times to even go even if you just sat in the back of the church if you didn't if you don't belong to a church but going mm-hmm. and getting the word and then going back and reading the word and then talking to God about the word and about what you heard I guarantee you and everyone says this that I know and it's been my experience that when I'm going through something I go to church the pastor's preaching on what I'm going through. Mm. The word that I'm Mm -hmm. getting is what if, you know, whether you're listening on TV, whether it's a song that starts to play, um, overwhelm my, my situation and overwhelm my atmosphere, right? To create this atmosphere for him to come in to minister to me. I pick up the Bible and I open it and, and just haphazardly. And the word that's on the pages is right there. I will never forget. I went to get a mammogram. This was uh, maybe 10 years ago. And, um, I just usually carry my Bible, and um, I uh, and I just you know I was reading in the waiting room, and I open it. What does it say? The sickness is not unto death, but unto his glory. I said, "Okay, I guess I'm gonna get a bad wow. report." <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I came in. And they were like, uh, we see some things we got to do a couple of biopsies. So fast forward, you know, 10, um, you know, 10 months later after getting a diagnosis that I had breast cancer and biopsy, biopsy, it, it came back after I prayed, anointed myself. I just kept reading healing scriptures mm, and I kept, yes, I just yes. kept repeating the sickness is not unto death, but unto me. Amen. Authority every morning because that was the word that he gave me and ultimately that sickness was not unto death it was unto his glory it was a testimony that I can give now to women who might have gotten a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. that, that that God can heal you miraculously if you just believe amen so having amen. the word of God and, and understanding the word of God and that came through even that relationship and taking my Bible and reading my Bible and the excitement about the word came through developing a relationship with him that came through my relationship that was fostered by my church and my pastor and the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. So suffering women, do not isolate yourself. Um, Pray and study and pray and read and and find a prayer partner if you need one. Go to a church and get connected because there are women out there that love you, that care for you, and that will remind you about the love of God and that will remind you about the healing power of Jesus, that will remind you about the fact that you do not have to suffer anything in silence. Amen. The Bible says we are overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony, your testimony is going to, to... be what helps you to overcome and so one other woman's testimony is going to help you overcome amen amen, amen. so isolation don't isolate don't isolate
1: amen. amen thank you so much dr sharon for being on faith city outreach and i just Pray that the Lord will continue to expand your territory you. to bless you, bless your family, and you. to um, just uh, give you the desires of your heart. Also. You. I know you. you pour out your heart to so many people, and I just pray that he will also pour out his heart to you to give you the desires of your heart. Would thank you please you. close in prayer for whatever the Holy Spirit is you. leading you to pray for?
2: Yeah. Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you, Master, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord God. We thank you for your loving kindness, God. We thank you for who you are in our lives, God. Now, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, as we finish our time together, Lord God, we just ask, Master, that you, Lord God, begin to move on the hearts of those that are listening, Lord God. If anyone who is suffering, Lord God, anyone that may be suffering, Lord God, from any grief, any pain, any sickness, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, for your divine. Divine healing power, Lord God, for someone, Lord God, that might be listening, Lord God, who doesn't know you and the free partner of their sins, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that they would give their lives to you, Lord God, that they would just begin to want to know you, to have a passion to know you, Lord God, to know you better, to know your word, Lord God, so that your healing power, Lord God, can begin, Lord God, to move in their spirit like never before, Lord God, for someone who may be listening, Lord God. Who may have backslidden, Lord God, who may have have just fallen off, Lord God, and not been in relationship and in covenant with you, Lord God. We pray, God, that in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you begin to draw them nearer, Lord God. Draw them closer, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Give them, Lord God, a passion to read your word again, Lord God. Ignite, Lord God, in their heart, Lord God, a desire, God, to just hear you and to just trust you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that you build, of their faith tonight Lord God oh God that anyone Lord God that might be struggling in their spirit Lord God I pray Lord God that you move like never before we pray for marriages Lord God we pray for wayward children Lord God we pray for those that may be addicted Lord God to drugs or alcohol Lord God we pray God that in the name of Jesus Lord God that you Lord God just do a new work in their lives Lord God and we thank you for that Lord God we thank you Lord God for the miracles that will be worked in people's lives after listening tonight Lord God and we bless your holy name. We bless each and every nation, every country, Lord God, that's listening on this line, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for the healing power of Jesus, Lord God. And we love you and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And our souls say amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Amen.
1: We will return next Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Coast Time. With another special guest, the Lord is brought to Faith City Outreach. Psalm 117, praise the Lord all you nations, extol him all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Salmos 117, alaban al Señor, naciones todas, pueblos todos, Cántanle alabanzas, grande es su amor por nosotros. La fielidad del Señor es eterna. Aleluya, alabado sea
0: el Señor. You have been listening to the Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. The music used in this broadcast is provided courtesy of zapsplat.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.